Hello and welcome to Don't Shoot the Deputies, a podcast run by two deputy heads living on opposite sides of the country. At the time of this recording, we're heading into December of 2020, a time in education unlike we've ever had. Despite the tough times we've all been going through, we've been producing podcasts for some months now focused on curriculum. And in our previous episode, we spoke to Nick Hart of Courthouse Junior School, who gave us some brilliant advice about gauging the impact of your curriculum. We did indeed, Russell, and I must say, in a week where I've had to close three bubbles in my own school, we've had a lot of chats recently about the very human side of running the school at the moment. We're focused on delivering school development plans, of course we are, but at the end of the day, we're dealing with real teachers, real teaching assistants, real parents and real children. So today we wanted our conversation to be about people, didn't we, Russell? We did indeed. Now, I found all our recent episodes helpful, Steve, but we wanted our next guest to be somebody who could really help us to recenter on the fact that schools are very human spaces. Our guest today is Ray Snape, and Ray is a head teacher of Milton Road School in Cambridge. She's also a national leader of education. Now, I first came across Ray on Twitter, and she's one of those people that everybody just seems to have a kind word to say about. So it's a pleasure to welcome you to the podcast, Ray, and thank you for joining us. Thank you very much for inviting me, Steve and Russell, and I'm really excited to have this conversation with you today. Uh, Ray, could you start by telling us a bit about yourself? What does your career look like today? And perhaps give us a sense of the values that guide you as a leader. So I was just reflecting that I've been in leadership for 20 years now. So I became a deputy head in the year 2000, around the time that uh, my first uh, child was born. So Charlie's now 20, off at University of Arts London, studying graphic design and identity. And uh, then I spent about five years, five or six years as a deputy head and then became a head teacher in about 2007 and started at Milton Road in January of this year. So I probably had about a month and a half of normality (laughs) Um, and then we started having to get into everything around bubbles and routines of getting children in and out of the gates and the same for as for everybody to be fair Um, but I'm very very happy in my new school it's a walk away so in the mornings I get to walk to school and come back with a quick walk as well so that's adding a great deal of value to my well-being lovely team of educators and uh, great parents amazing kids so I am really very happy in terms of values If I think back to the values that we had at uh, the Spinney, the very first value was child-centeredness. And and actually, more latterly, I would think it is about human beings. So I would say my values really are about people. And then other values include learning as an end in itself, but also as a process. Other values around responsibility to other people and responsibility to the planet optimism is one of my most important values because I find that uh, I I think more is being understood about positive psychology and how the brain works and uh, I describe myself as a radical optimist so I always try to look uh, for the best in in every situation and I guess hope as well I I believe that um, one of my favorite quotations is from Professor Yong Zhao and he says we need an education system based on hope 
not fear one that appreciates the humanity of human beings. And that's a quote that I come back to again and again, because alongside humanism and humanity, solidarity is another one of the values that I hold dear. That's such a uh, pertinent lead into the first question we had ready for you, Ray, which is about this idea of the human first school, so to speak. Uh, The first time I really heard someone talking about that term human first was when we spoke to Jazz Ampafar a a year or so ago. and, And she was talking about meeting people where they are. So what does that look like for you? And why is that so important in your school? Well, I just want to go backwards just to say how brilliant Jazz is. Jazz is uh, just a beacon of light in the education system and always has something to inspire people, not necessarily about taking them into the future, but this idea of accepting who we are today and valuing each other and valuing ourselves. So she's a, she's a fantastic uh, role model to educators. I've been doing a lot of thinking, like everybody has, through um, lockdown and the lessons. This is lockdown two, the sequel. But in lockdown one, I think it told us an awful lot about life and a crisis tells us what's important. So if I can take us back to March 2020 and uh, we'll just play a bit of a thought experiment. So if you can remember back in those days, we'd never experienced lockdown. We didn't know what it was. We had to find our own way to fill the hours and fill the days. And so very particular things happened. People went up into the loft, brought down their guitars and dusted them down and tried out a few chords. People picked up the violin from behind the sofa and had a go at playing some music. People also spent time reconnecting with old university colleagues over Zoom. They FaceTimed their families. They also tried out new things, sourdough, salsa, (laughs) Spanish. They became much more aware of their neighbours. People volunteered to collect medicines from the chemist. They went shopping for people who were isolating. And uh, they also got on their bicycles. They put um, herbs on the windowsills. They planted tomatoes in the garden. And they got on to thinking about how they could recycle even better. And uh, so I think there's some very key words that came out of that. The first one being about deciding our own identity, finding our own creativity, reconnecting with who we were authentically. The second one was connection, connecting to other people, really wanting that human interpersonal validation. The next one was about learning, this drive to learn something new, to be stimulated, to try something out. We made time for that and we prioritized it. Citizenship was the next principle that came along people were thinking about how they contribute as good neighbors to their society whether it's just in the street or whether it's these neighborhood schemes and we were also much more mindful of our responsibility to the planet so from that time i think there are these words identity connection learning citizenship and planet and because we are talking about curriculum all of those words 
align with Valerie Hannan's model, the domain of personal, interpersonal, societal, and global. And because we're educators, I'm going to chuck in the third one, which is scholastic. So this middle idea about learning. But I'm starting, we're starting to use this, it's on our website now, because we did a listening activity around February time for the, at the Milton Road. So we're using these words to help uh, shape up a framework for a rounded curriculum that has something about a, a sense of purpose. So living to develop children's personal identity, their interpersonal skills, their pro-social skills, their skills for coexistence, learning to learn, being a good citizen, taking care of other people, but also having a real regard for caring for our finite resources. That is fantastic, actually, Ray. And being a curriculum leader myself, I'm thinking about how, how we can extend the idea of the human-first approach in the actual curriculum. And I know you're really passionate about the wider curriculum too. Yeah, um, yeah. Thinking about that, could you tell us uh, how you built the curriculum to focus on outwards as well as inwards? And what would the curriculum look like now at Milton Road? One of the things that I was very proud of when I was at the spinning, it's actually transferred to Milton Road, is that we're a change maker school. So that's looking at our curriculum to have these drivers into the future about who our young people are going to be. So I sometimes say, or I, if I'm asked to talk about things, I say, the curriculum is a gift we give our young people to take into the future. It's a gift we will never see them open, but we hope it serves them well. Because all of us as educators absolutely know that we are the sum of all the books we've ever read, the places we've been, the inspirational people that we've listened to, and the teachers who taught us and loved us and cared for us and sent us on that journey. So if we retrofit what we want for our young people, it's all about those inspiring teachers that care for us. And in terms of pedagogy, there are some other elements that you can put in and on a really pragmatic level. So if I just set aside the theoretical for a moment. There are skills such as dialogic literary gatherings. So we're in Ashoka Changemakers School. It, when I was at the Spinney, I had the great uh, privilege of going to the university in Barcelona and learning about schools as learning communities. And there are different absolute uh, curriculum, pedagogic approaches where you build coexistence and you raise academic outcomes. So an example of that is where children read, have a literary text such as uh, Odysseus, and the children all have a book to read, but they read ahead. It's not about reading the book that's the primary phenomenon. It's about the team coming together, the, the group of children coming together, and through intersubjectivity, sharing their own backgrounds, their own cultures, you strengthen the comprehension skills of the group in addition to sharing that sense of solidarity and sharing the understanding that just because I think in this way doesn't mean that the person opposite me, their viewpoint isn't valid because they have a, another, a, an alternative background or a diversity in a home life that I know nothing about. And those conversations can be incredibly rich if you take a theme 
that might be within uh, Odysseus or within Romeo and Juliet. And you might look at the nature of love, for example, or death, or some of these universal um, canonical themes. But children from as young as seven debating about these quite rich philosophical and moral ideas it raises academic outcomes but it also promotes debating discussion skills as well another example would be empathy lab so you might have heard of empathy lab it's a an organization that signposts schools to amazing books such as wonder or other lovely books that raise this sense of empathy but through the program, it guides a way of thinking so that children engage empathetically with the character, but also think about what can they do in order to improve society. So it doesn't stop with, I've read this book, we've discussed it, but it's about turning empathy into action through creative plans. So children, through voice choice and agency, taking a lead in doing something to make the world an even better place. Mm. Can I just take your, your point back about Human First and, and what I saw when you were back at the Spinney, and I'm sure you're, you're, you've been working very hard on it at your, your newer school, is the idea of looking outwards into the wider community. I think you're really yeah. passionate about that, aren't you? Can you yeah, tell us more absolutely. about that? Well, um, I was talking about this last week, actually, for something for the Federation of Education Development, and um, I'm going back in what I'm reading to this document that was published in uh, 2015, which is Rethinking Education Towards a Global Common Good. And uh, it, the paper sets out to acknowledge some of the very real 21st century drivers and levers. So we might be talking about AI, fourth industrial revolution, robotics, increased connectivity, climate change, alternative sources of energy. These are very real phenomena that are happening around us. But chapter two of this document talks about reaffirming a humanistic approach. And if I can just take a moment to share with you the first uh, sentence, it says, sustaining and enhancing the dignity, capacity, and welfare of the human person in relation to others and to nature should be the fundamental purpose of education in the 21st century. Such an aspiration may be designated humanism, which it should be UNESCO's mission to develop both conceptually and in practice. And uh, it starts with a, love, a beautiful quote from Desmond Tutu, South African royal uh, social rights activist and bishop, my humanity is bound up in yours, for we can only be human together. And uh, going back to the lessons through lockdown, people are desperate just to connect with each other as human beings. We, and I promise I will follow this up with where we're going with the curriculum. I will try to answer the question, but I've absolutely loved, and I'm not the only person who is seeing a new authenticity because we're seeing into each other's homes. Cats are appearing and walking across the, um, across the laptop and kids are coming in demanding ice creams. We, we are genuinely seeing each other's humanity. We are beyond our suits and 
boots of our professional life we you know it's it's um not warts and all i don't know it's it's wet washing and all and and i think it's absolutely joyful and beautiful so i welcome the fact that this document five years ago is as valuable then as it is now the cultural capital place-based curriculum uh that we started at the spinney and i'm we're, we're continuing at milton road one of the other projects that i started was called my cambridge it's a cultural educational partnership that unites the university museums it's the city it's the county it's various cultural organizations and we and we come together to look at um improving access and inclusion for young people across the city but i'm absolutely driven to create a local global future curriculum that is very very uh, place-based and you may remember the book a history of the world in a hundred objects so the thinking that we're developing at the moment is a history or a, an understanding of cambridge in 50 objects so we are going to take the national curriculum it's got all the bits that you will recognize such as learning about the arctic and the antarctic in year one learning about latin america in year six um, such as learning about the great fire of london in year two we are not throwing the baby out with the bathwater. but if i take those examples the scott polar museum is in Cambridge so let's learn about that and go to the Scott Polar exhibition but maybe there is an object in the Scott Polar exhibition such as a, a walrus tooth or something or some special shoes that he might have worn that starts to become the object so that to use that Mary Myatt idea we could create these baskets to hold the curriculum together the Peeps Diaries are also in Cambridge. So when the children learn about the Great Fire of London, they can actually go and see the Peeps Diaries. When the year sixes learn about Latin America and they learn about the provenance of chocolate, well, Hotel Chocolat is a local company. So I have this idea that, and I haven't done it yet, I'm going to be reaching out to them and say, you would really like to do, as, you, as part of your social corporate responsibility, you'd really like to do an education um, project about where the cocoa bean comes from and fair trade and that sort of thing. And then I imagine that in the summer, after sats on Bessne, um, that the children go to Hotel Chocolat for a tasting. So the idea then is that we create this map i've got this vision it, we're just at the beginning of this journey it's a, an a3 or a2 map and it's all folded up and the children have this plot of all these 50 objects so it's seven every year because 50 is a nice number and it harks back to 50 things to do for the national trust between i think it's four and eleven and three quarters so it's a similar sort of idea and uh and they collect all of these objects but then through this process when ofsted come through the door and they say what did the children do in year one the teacher gets to unwrap the map and say ah i know exactly what they did in year one i know exactly where what the significant adults were what the uh, significant people rather the significant dates the location the skills because the 
because it's all going to be literally, and I quote, mapped out. The folded piece of cardboard over the map is going to have a compass because, and this, for those of you who know your education policy, does hark back to the OECD's learning framework and the learning compass. You can Google it and find it. And I'm trying to think about what are the points on the compass to make this really holistic. And where I've got to is, um, so slight diversion via Andy Hodgkin, Hodgkinson recommended this book on Thursday. So thanks Amazon, I got this uh, uh, on Friday. So a namespace curriculum, equipments for altruism, moral education, education for citizenship, education for work, so I'm thinking about education as a compass and I'm thinking that the South would be the values, RE, PHSE, values education. In the West would be, and I don't know whether it's West or East yet, I've got to work this out. On the West would be the academic side of things. Reading, writing, maths and ukulele is what all children <laughs> should learn. That's the basics. And then on the East, we've got the creative the design and technology, technical learning on the creative side. And then the true north is what is going to drive young people into the future. So this sense of the pro-social skills, the change making, the altruism, the understanding about being there for the common good. So Michael Fullan's work, his point about a rich, deep curriculum with the six C's is about good people do good things and uh, make the world a better place. So that, that's what I've got in my head at the moment. And I'm just mapping again, head, hand, heart and spirit. So on the West is the head uh, with the academic side. The values at the heart is in the South. The creative is the hand, uh, head, hand, heart are not original. Those are not mine. Um, and then I thought perhaps in the future is this sense of the spirit the sense of purpose, so this motivation to go into the future to do something to benefit mankind and humanity. Wow. Do you sleep at night, Ray? <laughs> like a baby. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds really inspiring. It really does. I would love to see this map. It sounds hugely amazing. Well, and then, because this is all just absolutely up in the air new, what we're going to do, because this is all part of dreams and vision, so I can see it in my head, is then there is going to be a website Mm -hmm. which is going to be called the Cambridge Primary Curriculum. And, you know, but I'm going to have a little bit of an argument with Cambridge University on, their, on the IP of who it belongs to, but I'll see what I can do. <laughs> it's Cambridge Primary Curriculum. And then in the future, because I am a multimillionaire, um, <laughs> is there's going to be a website that is going to have all of these objects there's some amazing resources at the Fitzwilliam Museum, including a, an Egyptian sarcophagus. And so I want to work with the museums as well so that they, so that it's interactive, so the children can click on them and mm -hmm. collect them. And then, because it also works like, and you two are too young to know this, but there used to be a little booklet called I Spy and used to tick off when you'd done them. <laughs> so the children tick off the experiences so that there is this, seamless sort of um, 
view, but it is this idea of it's a local, global, future curriculum. Mm. And uh, you know this saying, when a man is tired of London, he is tired of life. Well, I think it's very similar for, for mm. Cambridge. There are so many assets within Cambridge and also so much great innovation and charitable mm. foundations. And, and uh, so it's, it's good for children to know what's here, really, underneath their, it, well, in their neighbourhood. It's wonderful. It's such food for thought for me around curriculum design and, and using what's on your doorstep. So how are you finding it at the moment? It must feel quite stifling for someone like you that's so outward looking to be in this kind of COVID time where I know you've talked about the benefits of connection at the moment, but are you finding it stifling that those plans, some of that just won't work at the moment or be practical because of your ability to reach out to people? And even within your own school community, are you finding that harder? Because I feel quite lonely at work at the moment. I love my colleagues and everyone's amazing. But that kind of connection with everybody else feels difficult at the moment. Are you finding that? Absolutely. But I think we have to focus on how blessed we are. We've managed as a nation to leapfrog technology. And uh, we're starting to see why our current education system isn't really meeting the skills our young people already have. So, but to answer the question, uh, yes, but we have, from an opt a radically optimistic point of view, the fact that we're able to have this conversation, even though you two are not only distance from each other, but I'm equally, there's a triangle. We know there's a triangle from our positions, but we can all, we can come together and have this um, shared conversation through the power of technology and digital infrastructures. We're using Teams, we're using Zoom, probably like lots of people listening, uh, we did our parent-teacher meetings online using a, a bespoke, well, not a bespoke system, it's a, a, a system that we find found out about. I can't even remember what, which one it was called, but parents absolutely loved it. So I think, yes, it's difficult, but then I think there's almost a point where you just have to say, we, we just have to acknowledge and accept and not try to fight the reality. We have to be sort of gentle with ourselves. We know that the vaccine is on the horizon, normality is going to come back. But let's not go back. Let's not go back to mm. a time where we didn't have these systems and we couldn't see eye to eye and we couldn't engage with each other. We've learned such a lot. And in moving forward, we should really be maximizing these tools just as one would a pencil or a typewriter and, uh, and start building these approaches into the curriculum and that could include virtual visits so one of the i'll give a bit of a shout out to the fantastic martin galway sensational and inspiring brilliant educator and so i was talking with one of my teachers and she was uh, i say my teachers i'm hers as much as she's mine so i i, I don't sound <laughs> hierarchical about it i think when you feel as part of a team, people all feel like they belong to each other. And she was talking about a brilliant book that about eels that Martin Galway had inspired. We started to go on a conversation about uh, Ely is called Ely because of the eels that were there in Ely. And Ely's not far away, and it is the and has a an amazing cathedral. So we started to think about the curriculum being about important uh, subject knowledge, but also to inspire children to think about history and why 
places are called these particular names and so we had this sort of conversation then it got us thinking well if the theme of the because the book was about eels and if we develop this idea it could even be about aquatics and uh, just the, the evening before somebody had connected with me from Portsmouth Aquarium because he's an educator at the aquarium to say we now do online educational visits so just the power to have these experiences through the internet is, is just remarkable so I think we need to be appreciative instead of looking at what we don't have go from a point of abundance and appreciation and look what we've actually got and see how we can use it to benefit the uh, the learning in our schools and our own experiences mm. And going forward with this then, Ray, the last thing I wanted to talk to you about was the idea of leaders being part of a network or community beyond their school. We know that senior leadership can become a lonely place at times. And I'll never forget the first head teacher I worked for said that as you climb that ladder of leadership, it does become a lonely place or can become a lonely place. What advice would you then give to the senior leaders who might be feeling a bit isolated at the moment? I would say make outward facing leadership part of your toolbox as much as leading a great assembly or writing a governor's report make sure that that's part of your your skill set because through twitter or facebook or local connections there are networks out there we've got to do it ourselves nobody will come knocking to check they well some of them might you know hopefully <laughs> Particularly, particularly for new head teachers, but I think you have to get your head above the parapet and make time to connect. And there are amazing networks out there. Women Ed are doing incredible work, LGBT education. I, I think Collective Ed from uh, Professor Rachel Lofthouse is doing amazing work. Chartered College, Dame Alison Peacock has been fantastic. I think the NAHT have been phenomenal during this time Simon Kidwell and Dan Thomas are, have been absolutely glorious uh, during the lockdown and the other thing is getting online to follow podcasts such as this you'll learn something along the way something that I'm now doing I'm an education host I'm a host for the smiley movement and uh, there's such a thing called smiley talks we did one in September, uh, Adrian Bethune and Peter Hyman and um, Flora Barton were part was part of that, and we've and that's had 120,000 uh, views. So go online, listen to podcasts, watch some great conferences. I think the fact that everything's online now means that you you can play something back later on, and you'll feel very connected to to the landscape. But I think it does take that uh, per developing that personality trait my personal mantra is hashtag only connect because i like to see the dots and i like to if i can join the join the education ecosystem that's wonderful advice ray and such a lovely place for us to bring this to an end i don't really want to bring it to an end because i've really really enjoyed talking to you and it's been a real privilege hearing your your views and thoughts and we'd really just say to our listeners if you've enjoyed it please do get in touch give us some feedback it's so nice to hear what people think of these episodes i'm sure ray would be more than happy if you want to reach out to her online and say hello we'll tag her into all our posts when we share this and please do leave positive reviews on on whatever podcast platform you're using it, it does encourage others to listen but yeah 
yeah thanks again Ray it's been it's been such a pleasure to have your time today thank you thank you very much for having me it's been lovely to meet you both oh, a wonderful way to spend the afternoon thank you don't keep the deputy.